Byru, what's going on? Sure, John. Am I supposed to have a VC? Oh my God, I'm totally not dressed for it. <laughs> Am I? This is, don't worry, we won't record the video. Video is just for me and you. It's for those for the homies oh, okay. only. Okay, okay, it's great. For the homies only. But I, but I okay, shaved great. and looked proper and wore a nice suit for you. Look at this. <laughs> <laughs> How Sorry, you I wasn't. I'm good. Um, well, I can't wait to get out the house. I mean, Singapore is on lockdown for the past like two months now, um, and so we're ending. No, I'm not. This is my home office. Oh, okay. Because I saw a person walking by. <laughs> oh no, that that that's my boyfriend. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm like, how are they opening in Hong Kong? In Singapore, sorry. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Okay, so you're yeah. still in lockdown. Yeah, I'm still in lockdown. Um, I, I, well, the lockdown is supposed to be lifted June 1st, which I think is on track. Yeah. But I think um, most of us will still be working from home, or at least that will be like an A-B kind of shift. Yeah, got it. Okay. A lot has changed. A lot has changed. I'm so excited to hear what's up, but also... First of all, welcome to the podcast. This is uh, thank you. This is your first podcast ever. Yeah, it is. Okay. Good, <laughs> not the last. Um, so I've known Byru that the friends call you. Uh, other name is Elizabeth, but Byru is what all the homies call you um, uh-huh. for a while. I've known you since 2013, probably, um, mm-hmm. maybe even more than that. Maybe probably in 2013, probably sounds right. And, um, you know, we, we have a lot of mutual friends in common from LA and from Matrix, right. Davis and all the stuff. And then you've had an amazing career from UCLA to Goldman to Singapore, then in Hong Kong to Morgan Stanley, now back to Singapore with TPG. So probably, you know, one of the most stellar finance resumes ever, right? Thank you. <laughs> with a couple of, you know, ups and downs in the way, but then the journey was always pointing north. So I'm really proud of you. I'm really excited to hear. And I was... I didn't even know about the TPG move until I you know, did some due diligence on my next guest. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> she's a TPG. That's amazing. So welcome to the podcast, uh, Byron. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's really exciting. <laughs> so look, you know, uh, students just like yourself, when you were back in the day, who don't know much, but they're, you know, have the same aspirations to join awesome firms like you have, you know, are my target audience. And, and I, you know, one of the good things is kind of to unleash stories of, you know, folks that I've been around and kind of show them like what you did right and what you did wrong, let's just say along the way, so that they can mm-hmm. kind of learn from you. Cool? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Happy to share. So, you, so let's talk about before UCLA. Where is Bayrou from? Um, well, I'm from China. So my family is from Hangzhou, uh, which is about an hour, an hour and a half away from Shanghai. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they moved to Beijing in their early 20s. And they settled down. And then afterwards, I was born in Beijing. And then when I was five years old, my family moved to Singapore primarily for education because Singapore has got great bilingual education and they recognize that English is going to be very important. And I think back then, you know, I I mean, I I was born in in 1992. So back then, I think when you're growing up, English is not really like a core language in China yet. And so therefore, um, they moved to Singapore and I received a great education here. Mm -hmm. And then up until high school and then thereafter, I went to the U.S. for college. So most of your English that you learned like as a kid was all in Singapore. Definitely. Yeah. So I think when I was a kid in China, in Beijing, I think I went to night school. My mom would call te- uh, like, you know, going to night school with me, learning all the, the, the A to Zs, uh, learning very simple animals, like how, how yeah. to pronounce them and all that. But I think when I came to Singapore, I actually forgot all about them. 
Yeah. And I had to oh, wow. relearn everything when I was five years old. So when I came to Singapore, I was actually asked to um, like stay one year back. So mm -hmm. in, in Singapore, you're supposed to join, like, I think um, it's, it's like, I don't know, like the last year before you get into um, elementary school. Yeah. So I was asked to stay that one year, but my mom pushed for me to continue with, with what my year is supposed to be. And she also sent me to language and speech classes mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, it can boost my pronunciation. And she also made an active effort for me to go to an elementary school where they're taught by Eurasian teachers. It's like okay. more like a missionary kind of elementary school yeah. so that I'll always be surrounded by an English environment. Yeah, because your accent is actually very American. Like it's it's you know it's very very American. It's more American than I I mine is, and you know a lot of Singaporean have a you know that Singaporean accent a little bit. No way! Like when I when I okay, so I I joined um, a business frat my freshman year, and um, my frat brothers was would tease me all the time because my pronunciation is just not right. I think it took me like almost two semesters for me to correct how to say theater because we say cinema in yeah. Singapore. <laughs> yeah. So I never, I never knew how to pronounce theater and it took me, I think, two semesters to correct it. Yeah, and, my issue, yeah, and, yeah. My yeah, issue exactly. in like, in, in, like uh, in India and Pakistan, we can't say V, the letter V. We, we okay. say V. And for us, like when someone says valley, it's valley. So it's always uh, with a V. And one of my buddies in high school in Canada, when I immigrated to Canada, I, I was in high school. And it was, his name was Vinoj with a V. And I was okay. always calling him Vinoj, Vinoj, Vinoj. And then he actually just stopped me one day. He's like, hey, dude, we got to fix this. <laughs> and it took yeah. me a while to learn the sound V, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Thing with like pronunciations of the word like poem and poem, right? Like things like that are always different. And cinema and theater was another one. Um, so why UCLA? How, how, did, how did you end up there? How did the path take you there? Um, so my god sister actually went to Berkeley. So to be very honest with you, my top choice was actually Berkeley. Yeah. Um, but sense. obviously, you know, uh, I, I applied to both Berkeley and, and UCLA. And then in the end, I got into UCLA, which I think is probably one of the best choices that whoever maybe got, you know, like gave me this opportunity. Yeah. Um, because I think I just, I love the city so much. I had so yeah. much fun in college. And to be very honest with you, I think I probably studied a lot less as compared to when I was in high school. Because yeah. going through the A-levels was probably the hardest exam for me. Oh, for sure. Versus what we go through in college. Yeah, yeah. Um, but obviously, you know, I definitely took this opportunity at UCLA uh, to mingle with very, very people, expose myself to various opportunities. Yeah. So I think that was like the right kind of um, college experience I was looking for. Yeah. Um, and, and so it turned out to be amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and you know, getting to UCLA, you, is, is your family background from a business world or, or not? Like in terms of like industry wise? Completely different. Oh, Both yeah. my parents are in, in arts and performing arts. No so way. My dad is, yeah, my dad is a professor in um, the bamboo flute and Chinese flute in music. Okay. Uh, my mom herself, she's a dancer and uh, she is also uh, the head of department of a dance department here in Singapore in the tertiary constitution, uh, yeah. sorry, institution. Yeah, so they're completely different from what, what I'm pursuing right now. No one oh in my, my family God. did business, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, try explaining private equity to like, oh my, I thought, I thought it was hard for me to explain investment banking. Oh my God, that's amazing. So, so you get to UCLA, you, you don't have a background in business, but there is a passion for business? Yeah, so uh, when I was in high school, I did economics. And, you know, back then when you're like 17, 18 year old, I don't know the difference between economics and finance. Yeah. So then I asked around, hey, like, what can you do? Because I, I, I did really well in economics and I thought it was really interesting. 
So then I went around asking, you know, in, in my, my senior year of, of high school, I was going around saying, hey, what, what can you do, you know, like if you're good at economics, what kind of jobs yeah. can you go, what kind of majors should you pursue in, in college? And so I asked my god sister, um, she, she went to Berkeley, she, she, she did economics as well, and as well as a little bit of business, yeah. and she became an investment banker herself. So mm-hmm. she, she got an internship with Credit Suisse in Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, she's seven years older than me. So that's why she told me like, Hey, why not you look into investment banking? So then, you know, like me looking up to her as a role model in my life, yeah. I went to UCLA on, I think during the first week orientation, you, you get to explore the different clubs, the fraternities, sororities on campus. Yeah. And then I, so I went around and asked around and Hey, like, Hey, what are some of the, you know, business related or yeah, economic yeah. related kind of groups? And so that's how I got referred to Alpha Kappa Psi, okay. um, as well as DSP. Okay. So these two, these two are the business rats on campus. And I talk to various people during the first week of orientation. Yeah. And I say, hey, why not I'll just join these frets? I didn't know yeah. the concept of frets. Yeah. And, then, and then they say, oh, you have to go through um, you know, a pledging process. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what that was. Yeah, yeah. But I just put my name down, talk to a bunch of people, yeah. and be like, hey, you know, I really want to be an investment banker. Like what my <laughs> sister told me. But obviously, I didn't tell them that, right? Yeah. So then I think um, you know, some of the more senior members of the frets felt like I was a very ambitious girl going into investment banking. But obviously, I didn't know what investment banking yeah, was yeah. about. So they felt, hey, like she's really ambitious. I think she'll be a great addition to the frat. So I think yeah. that's one of the main reasons uh, why I eventually, you know, got an, an interview spot for Alpha Kappa Psi, okay. and also eventually got a bid. So yeah. back then I was still with my my my, my got a got a bid. Is that what you said? Got yeah, a bid? A, yeah, a pledge bid. So okay. it's like you so so you get a you get a bid such as, such that you can participate in the entire pledging process, okay. which lasts for uh, one quarter. No way. Yeah. So you don't, act, I mean, it's quite similar to some of the, um, the social frets, right? You go through yeah. the entire quarter of pledging. Yeah. And then it's really like a test. It's a, it's a long-term interview process to make yeah. sure that, you know, you, you are a worthy member to join the fraternity. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so, so I think I, when, I, when, I, when I actually rushed, they call this a rush process. When I rushed, I definitely did with a bunch of my Singaporean friends. Yeah. Um, and we're all in our first quarter in freshman year. And I think I was the only one who received this bid oh, to wow. pledge. Oh, yeah. Wow. And, and apparently when I finally got into the fret and finally crossed to become a member of the fraternity, I think some of the senior members told me that during the entire um, rush process, essentially when you talk to the senior members, they didn't know what I was talking about. They just, <laughs> because I had, I don't know, I had a really weird accent that they were never exposed to. Yeah. Uh, I guess my accent wasn't as, as American as, as now. Yeah. Um, and, and so they didn't really know half the things I was saying, but they could see that I was just so passionate and enthusiastic. And yeah. they thought that this, you know, this girl will be great. Yeah. And, and, and so obviously I, I, I went into UC, uh, I went to AKSI uh, thinking that I want to pursue investment banking. Yeah. But obviously along the way, there were some hiccups here and there. Yeah. So um, in my before, sophomore before year. We, before we yeah, get yeah. to that, of course. I think one of the things for the audience, uh, listeners, I think it'd be nice is that when you're in college, university, or whatever, it's always great to join these kind of things, right? DSPs, AKSIs, clubs, because they open not only your network, but also expose you to opportunities, right? Like when, when firms are coming back uh, you know, to campuses, there's a high chance they'll hire from some of these frats because people working at those firms are at, from those frats or from those you Definitely. Know, 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I think when I so I think when I got into the fraternity, um, they also had a great mentorship program, mm -hmm. and they will basically pair you with someone of similar career interests. And so for me, from the outset, I was really keen on doing investment banking, and there were past investment bankers in the fraternity. Yeah. So they definitely try to match me up with these um, these senior members, and so yeah. they can guide me along as to what are the steps to getting an internship and what are some of the, the, the materials or the resources that you should be studying because clearly finance is so different from economics and UCLA does not have the benefit of having um, a finance major or minor okay. or business related. So that's why when we were going through investment banking, a lot of these, of these concepts, we have to pick them up on our own. Yeah. And it's because of, of, of these resources and people whom we can, you know, uh, test our ideas back and forth and do mock interviews with us. Yeah. I, I think that that really helped in terms of how we can get get the, the internship at the end of the day. Because yeah. you're competing with people from Haas, you know, around uh, along the West Coast from USC where they do have a business school. Yeah. Um, and so all these people they are studying on, on their own. Yeah. And obviously, you know, if, if, even as their core major, right? So in, in terms of knowledge, definitely, I think we might be at a disadvantage compared to these um, these, these kids. Yeah. So I think having such resources, joining these kind of clubs, organizations will help you because sometimes when it comes to interviewing, it is the, it is the human factor, the relationship yep. factor that comes into play a lot. 100%. It's not just about your technical knowledge, but sometimes just how you answer, if you're able to you know, create um, some, some sort of bond or connection yeah. with your interviewer. Yeah. Sometimes you nail the job. Yeah. You may not I think like, you, yeah. You can you can have a you can easily go in an interview process and answer a technical question totally wrong, but if you have the mm -hmm. right personality and the bond and the, the connection with the person on the other side of the table and they know that look, obviously this person's smart, right? They, because there's if, there's if you're sitting in that chair, obviously you've done well enough in your school and stuff. And these jobs yeah. aren't like complex. It's not like we're about to design a rocket. Like it's like aligning yeah. logos and filling Excel, Excel sheets. So if they, doesn't, they don't know, but I know that this person is willing to learn, especially with you who has so much enthusiasm and energy and passion, we know you'll do the work, right? We'll know you'll like figure it out. So that's exactly. Exactly. You're absolutely right. So, so that's why. So that brings on to my journey, right? So, yeah. you, you know, so people told me that, oh, sophomore year, you should, if let's say, your first choice is investment banking. Yeah. And then if you don't get into investment banking, maybe you should explore other areas. For instance, like accounting or you know advisory. Yep. So then for you to get exposed to accounting and advisory world, they have a great program in sophomore year, which uh, I think it's, it's a program where you get to discover these okay. sort of um, leadership camps, I think. I can't remember the exact name now. But basically in sophomore year, they will recruit um, some of the students and they will put them through a one week where you actually get to experience and talk to uh, the various partners, the associates at these big four accounting yeah. firms to get to know what kind of, you know, um, jobs, jobs you like. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and so that actually gives you a flavor of whether, you know, you want to be an accountant or like yeah. an advisory person. So then that, that was a big deal, right, amongst my, my peers back then when we were sophomore year. Yeah. So then everyone applied to all these like, big four leadership, um, yeah, yeah. The, the leadership programs. And there's limited and spots. Yes, yeah, limited spots. They say that, um, and then everyone told me, like, like, girl, like, you know, with your resume, you would definitely be able to get in. And then guess what? I didn't get into any of these big four. Oh, wow. <laughs> leadership oh, wow. programs. I was devastated because yeah. everyone was saying how easy it was. And then... Even um, people in my pledge class who are pursuing similar, you know, um, like career routes as yeah. me, they all got into at least one or two. Wow. 
And especially so, for someone, and just to, just to pause there a little bit, for folks who don't know many Singaporeans, Singaporean culture is very competitive. <laughs> it is. It <laughs> is know? very competitive. Yeah. And if so, if like Bayou didn't get that, I mean, that's like, and especially like in, in any of them, oh man, that, that must have been like a... <laughs> yeah, to me, to me, I felt like what went wrong, right? Because yeah. I think after sophomore year, my GPA was still a 3.8 or 3.9. Yeah. Um, and then I was, I was already, you know, serving some kind of leadership roles in my fraternity. Mm -hmm. And then I, I don't think that anything went wrong. Even during the interviews itself, I don't think anything went wrong, but I did not get into any of the leadership programs. Wow. Um, at least from the big four. So, so that's why was sophomore, you know, I was, summer. I think so. It was sophomore yeah. summer. Okay. Um, and I think afterwards I got into another program by KPMG, which I went, okay. but that was like the only, the only program that I, that I got in to at least get a flavor of what yeah. accounting would be. And I also got into another program by, um, Grant Thornton. Okay. Um, but I mean, to me, it's like, you know, everyone was talking about Lloyd, PwC, EY, like all these names are the ones that all my other friends yeah. like, managed to get an opportunity. But for me, I did it. Yeah. Um, and obviously at the same time, everyone was telling me that, Hey, you know, before you get a junior internship in a, in a bulge bracket investment bank, it's always good to, um, you know, have an experience in smaller banks. Yeah. So, and then I also had a really great mentor in my fraternity. So he himself, he is actually, um, American. Korean okay so he's a, he's a Korean American um, and he told me that you know what maybe one of the reasons why your resume doesn't get picked up is because you're using a Chinese name mm. that didn't occur to me um, and 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 to be very honest with you and to the audience sometimes really is because of a very Asian name it might actually create some kind of preconceived stereotypes or notion yeah. that hey this kid could be a fall you know, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not cool enough to be part of whatever you're trying yeah, to do. This, this banking, Western culture, or whatever. Exactly. I mean, I mean, think about it, right? Like banking in 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 the U.S. is still very much like a fraternity. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you kind of got to be cool to be part of the club. There's a, um, it's a bunch and, of Jakes and Jakes and Eric's. <laughs> yeah. So so um, I didn't I didn't really uh, believe what he said. Um, but in any case, I still changed my name on my resume to an English name that is Elizabeth now. Yeah. And that actually, to be very honest, opened a lot more doors. Wow. Wow. See, that's, that's interesting because I always like in my workshops and stuff, I always tell people name doesn't really matter, you know, and I say that from my, you know, angle because my name is weird to begin with. And, and maybe, maybe I should have changed, but that's a really good point that you just mentioned. I also talk about uh, self-elimination, right? A lot of people write on the bottom of their resume, oh, I'll need sponsorship, I'll need a visa, and automatically yeah. those resumes will never make it to the next round because people are like, why take the hurdle when there's like another 500 kids who are from LA, from America, who are easy to just hire. Uh, but you're right, you know, if, if, if let's just say changing it from Beirut is something that's more common, right, doesn't raise a red flag, um, and, and it can definitely increase your chance. It definitely can't decrease it. So, you know. Yeah, so yeah, so I didn't actually remove my Chinese name. It's just that it's, it become my middle name. So it's Elizabeth okay. Bailu Chan. Um, and, then, and then, so, you know, obviously when, when you go through all the HR screening, you got to use your legal name, but there will always be a section for preferred name, yeah. which I would, I, I would put it as Elizabeth because yeah. I think when you're seeking job opportunities in the U.S., you kind of got to do what people, you know, um, like what Romans do, right? They're more yeah. accustomed to seeing English names. Yeah. So, so um, I changed the name on my resume and then uh, I also, 
I, in my sophomore year, even though I didn't get into some of the, the big four leadership programs, I did get an internship with McCaffrey and Company, okay. which is a boutique in Century City in LA. Okay. And I think um, that was a great opportunity, to be very honest. And I, I made such great connections with um, some of the associates there, as well as the MD there. Yeah. Um, and I worked with them for six months over the summer in sophomore year. Yeah. Wow. And I even volunteered to go back in my senior year to help to just, you know, get myself ready for my full-time job uh, to just help out on, on a base. That's amazing. On, on, yeah, I was working. I, I, I was working. They, they weren't paying me much, but yeah. I was just doing it because I really liked working Damn. with them. It was a great opportunity and also because I, I managed to form such a great working relationship with the MD as well as um, the associate who became uh, who became a VP afterwards. Yeah. I actually referred a lot of people from UCLA to McCafferty yeah. and they actually did take in um, multiple people yeah, after yeah. me. I think the other cool thing about this story is, you know, yes, you are right now at the pinnacle of finance. You've been at the top of the you know, best firms in banking and now at private equity, but you never started there. Right. Nobody, you know, yeah. most people actually don't get to start at the top, right? They have to start somewhere else. And, and it's always important. People get disheartened. They're like, oh, I just got, I only got like Houlihan Loki, or I only got like, you know, some small firm, this XYZ firm, which is a no name. Like what's the other one in, uh, in LA that a lot of people go to it has a ship icon. Like the logo is a ship. Um, I forget the name, but like Lake Ridge Capital or something, but these, a lot of there's like there's, for every like Goldman, there's a thousand boutique firms that exist. Yeah. Like yeah. I had never heard of McCafferty and company until today. Right. Okay. <laughs> I just, it just hasn't right. Just, you know, cause like think about it, like we all live in this like, you know, tunnel of like, Oh, I just Goldman Sachs or bust. And, and, and I think the important thing is get the ticket to the ballpark. You'll at least inch yourself forward and think about your competition. Everybody else who is going to be applying to Goldman in the third year. Right because that's when the main summer internship comes up, most people will not even have a summer banking sophomore internship, right? Investment banking right. summer. Because most people coming out of second year are probably working in like private wealth or wealth management jobs at BAML or you know, B of A or something like that. So getting your foot in the door as, as an investment banking summer analyst as a second year, that's rare, right? That's super yeah. rare. And, and it's not Goldman, yes, but guess what? It's, it's better than the rest of the competition for sure. Yeah. So that definitely, I think, set me apart um, because, I mean, you don't, to be honest, I don't think I, I was paid. I don't remember, but I think yeah. we were just working summers. We were working really long hours that kind of get us exposed to the lifestyle that you, you would have when you are yeah. an intern, you know, junior year in a boach bracket. And obviously the resources that you get in a, in a smaller boutique firm is not going to be as much as a boach bracket. Yeah. You're, not, you're not going to have, you know, like a couple Bloomberg terminal machines or multiple CapIQ accounts, but at least such tools, you get exposed to them in yeah. sophomore year. And then you kind of, it kind of hone your entire knowledge about some of the finance concepts that we never learned in books, but at least you get to learn on the job. And I think yeah. that was pretty um, valuable, especially yeah. going into a proper internship in your third year, because they, they're not going to teach you how to use CapIQ while well, they do during training. But yeah. those are really basic. They want you to hit there. They want you to be able to, you know, like, hit your desk and get it running right away, even yeah. as an intern in a boach bracket. So they kind of expects, they kind of expect you to already know this going yeah. in. Um, and I think having such experiences is really good. So I think for anyone who wants to really go into investment banking your junior year yeah. as a full time, uh, as, a, as a summer internship, definitely try and, and go for some of these boutiques because they definitely need some help. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's always good to, to have a pair of hands. Oh, I love it. And, and you took that and, 
you know, that's when like the, the first like major uh, wave of recruiting happened at UCLA and you were now aiming for, uh, you know, the bulge brackets. So how was the recruiting, right. how was the recruiting experience then now? Like now you have a couple of good opportunities you've done as a sophomore and a freshman, and now you're going for the big leagues. Um, so for us, I think again, in UCLA, we have the undergraduate business society, UBS, and they have this very prestigious, um, investment banking workshop. Yeah. So these workshops are actually organized by students, but these students are all either ex-bankers, ex-investment bankers, um, and they have all these knowledge and connections with the current firms that, that they're already working at. And so that's why they will come in and they will, they will they actually select about 23 to 25 students every year. At least that's the case back then when, when yeah. I was going for the workshop. Um, and then so you go to this um, investment banking night and then you talk to various of these student members um, and they will select you and you go through, a, uh, I think, I can't remember how many months it was, but basically an entire program where they really teach you various concepts. They will bring folks in to teach you on like train the street. Um, they will also teach you on how to interview, what some of the questions you should be asking. Yeah. They created this huge database of past questions um, where, where you can prepare and they will run through mock interviews with you. Yeah. And I, I, I would say that at least the banks on the West Coast, they would actually give um, the first, basically they, they would give, give, give priority to these uh, students first. These 1 to 25 UBS uh, investment banking track students. Correct. They will give them the opportunity or rather we would definitely get a first round interview yeah. at any of the banks in LA and SF. I, 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 yeah. So okay. then definitely, um, you know, everyone interview. I think on the first day of the first round interviews, when we were in sitting in the, in, in the, in the, in the prep room, I think yeah. I saw all my, my bank, my in, investment banking workshop folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think everyone had six to seven um, interviews lined up right after another at the career yeah. center yeah. in one day. And yeah. I remember that I like, you know, after the workshops that I was teaching, which, you know, I was partnered with you guys or your seniors back then, let's say Maitri, is Maitri your senior? No, 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 we're same year. Same so year. we were in the workshop together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so, but like after, I guess when like Maitri became a senior member of the exec team and then I came yeah. into the workshop, I remember like after the LA workshop, Maitri would bring out like 20 to 25 uh, UBS investment banking track kids for a little one-on-one -on -one session with me. So it's definitely yeah. like, you know, if you, if you are at UCLA and you have a opportunity to attend that, you definitely get an edge over the other kids. Definitely. And I think this is one of the things that any prospective, you know, kids who want to go into investment banking to try and aim to get into one of these workshops. Yeah, that's, that's, that's honest. That's true. So you took this stuff and then uh, had a bunch of interviews lined up on, in the California offices, but the opportunity ended up being Goldman Sachs in Singapore. Yeah. Um, the reason, yeah, the reason is because I was, I was trying to hedge my bets, right? I had, I basically only applied to the U.S. banks in the U.S. on the yeah. West Coast, and I was thinking, hmm, maybe as safety, I should just at least have one Asia bank. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I was like, okay, why not just Goldman in Singapore? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Can't go wrong. Was, yeah, it can't go wrong. So that was the only Asia bank that I, that I that I actually applied for. Yeah. Um, and then everything else is in SF and LA. Yeah. Um, and then, and then sadly, I don't know what happened, but I didn't get any, so my first day I had six LA bank interviews. Yeah. I did not get a return call at all for these yeah. six banks. Wow. So day one, it was really like, you're out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, but then obviously again, you know, it, it reminded me about what happened in sophomore year, but that didn't deter me. 
Um, so I, I was definitely a very upset uh, that day. For but sure. then I picked myself up and then I went on to interview for some of the banks, uh, bulge brackets in SF, which turned out to be um, much better. I, I did got into super days and all that. Um, and then obviously I also had a, I also had an opportunity to interview with Goldman, yeah. um, in, in, in Singapore. So I, I did phone interviews with them only up until super day where they flew me to New York. Okay. Um, where I had my super day in New York. Okay, so wow. I did, so I did my super day with some of the SF banks, uh, the Bush brackets in SF, as yeah. well as Goldman Singapore in New York. But because yeah. the recruitment cycle for, uh, APEC is actually a lot faster, not faster, but they, they it's, it's sooner as compared to uh, West Coast. Yeah. So that's why I actually got my offer for Goldman uh, basically about a week or two before I finished interviewing with all the San Francisco banks. processes. Exactly, exactly. Got it. So, and, and then I guess, you know, for, for these banks, they always do like, you know, offer on the same day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I literally just took my offer on, on yeah. that day. I think a, a key point there also is, um, and I say this in my course now, is like, you know, compete where you will win, right? Like, you know, and that's, you know, a lot of people, what they want is they want to go work at Goldman Sachs, New York, for example, or Morgan Stanley in Menlo Park or whatever it is. And what happens is, you know, everybody and their mom is applying for that job, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and it's very hard because your competition is, you know, like there's 20,000 kids applying for the same job. But then if you have a unique, yeah, I know like it's, it's kind of a, a headwind when you're an international student or, you know, you're culturally different from the industry. But if you are someone from a different region, let's just say, and there is a, the bank that your dream brand, let's just say, exists in that region, you should always mm -hmm. as a backup apply, right? Because what happens mm -hmm. is, you know, the people that are hiring for Goldman in Singapore, majority of the applications are coming from Singapore. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's international applicants just like yourself going there. But then because you are at UCLA, you've done the work, you've had a lot more resources, you've had a lot more experiences, you've already done a summer internship, you automatically become the best Singaporean candidate, right? And, <laughs> you know what I mean? So the reason I say that is like, yeah. when I can get a job in LA across the board, I actually took a week off, went back to Toronto because I said, I'm not going to be able to compete with like the Bayrou's and the Matries of the world who already are from, you know, UCLA undergrad, have all the experiences and the network. I was a graduate student. It was just like hard. So I went back to Toronto and I, there's like five main banks in Toronto. And I just said, I know for a fact that compared to my competition there locally, the UCLA brand would win at least an interview. And that's mm -hmm. how I got my first offer at a bank of Montreal. And when I got mm -hmm. that offer, I brought it to LA and told Hula and, Hey, please give me an interview. Right. And <laughs> so compete where you will win as at least as a backup is a, is a great option. It looks like it worked for you. Yeah, it did. Um, but obviously, you know, I think Goldman Singapore was, was really great. I had a amazing summer. And so that's why, you know, I, ch I, I chose to return full time. Yeah. I, I built a really strong rapport with the people in, in the office. And um, obviously, you know, with, with the Goldman brand name, you really get to see many different deals at the point yeah. in time. Um, so that's why I still chose to go back full time instead nice. of recruiting for any of the West Coast full time yeah. things. So you did that for a couple of years then in Singapore, covered that. And then, you know, a lot of times people think about maybe I go private equity then. Maybe mm -hmm. I go business school, right? Mm -hmm. Change geography. So there was that T junction that came in your life. And I remember you and I had a call. I was in, at that time I had, I had also moved back to Morgan Stanley and we yeah. had a chat. So talk to me about kind of like that mindset. What were you thinking then? So I think I, I was always very keen on um, 
doing deals or being involved in, in the TMT industry. And so in Singapore, because Singapore, in a way, it's, it's sort of like a satellite office. You don't yeah. actually get that many industry groups. So TMT is usually based out of Hong Kong within um, the APEC region. Yeah. And so that's why um, when, when, when you told me that, hey, why not, if you're really keen on TMT, why not try out for, you know, like GSTMT or MSTMT? Because these two are the strongest vote brackets in the yeah. TMT industry. But sometimes internal transfers could be even more difficult. Um, then actually transfer to a completely different bank. That's a good point. And and yeah, so so that's why and because you, you kind of have to when you when you want to transfer internally, you kind of need to keep things under wraps. And sometimes yeah. they, you you can't always get get things your way. Yeah. So I think I took up you know your 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 advice to say hey why not try out for MSTMT you know yeah. they're one of the best. Yeah. And to be true and and, and and it is true that MSTMT did all the majority of the equity offerings yeah. IPOs. Um, the part also is like, there's a big pull factor, right? When you're going from Goldman to anywhere, any firm would want a Goldman, you know, employee, right? It's kind of like, yeah. we won, right? We won, like, for example, same way, like, you know, there's, there's a lot of competition that happens in terms of, you know, one firm over the other trying to you know, poach talent. So mm -hmm. whereas like a group within Goldman is not trying to poach talent from another group. It's just like, a, it's not something that someone does. But you know, mm -hmm. Morgan is always poaching from Goldman. Goldman's always poaching from Morgan. That's kind of like a win for them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and then you told me about the opportunity, and so I jumped at it, right? I know. I was, I was, really... just, I was just trying to get Fairu <laughs> close to Hong Kong and get me a, a signing bonus, which reminds me, I owe you <laughs> a fancy dinner. <laughs> I don't think I don't think I've kept that bet. I don't think I've fulfilled that uh, deal yet. Not okay. yet. <laughs> Oh yeah, right. Okay, so I, I still owe you, and I remember I owe you a three hundred dollar U.S. dollar dinner. So, the <laughs> story for the audience here is that when Bayru got the job at Morgan Stanley Hong Kong, uh, I got a signing bonus, and and I and I basically said, hey, I'm going to take you to the best restaurant that's available. Um, and I haven't because I moved and life happened, but I still remember that, and it's in recording now, so I, I owe you that. Um, <laughs> Great! We'll, I can't we'll, wait. We'll, we'll, we'll do that next time we're in the same city. Okay. Sure, definitely. Um, so you joined Morgan Stanley. Now you're in, in one of the top TMT groups uh, covering a lot of China deals, a lot of the deals that happen in uh, Morgan Stanley, Hong Kong, TMT are China focused. Uh, so talk to me about kind of like a little bit of that experience, because that's one of those rare groups in the world. Yeah, um, definitely. I think it was one of the hardest banking experience I've had. I think that was like this, everyone deemed to be the real investment banking experience because yeah. I was working the longest hours, I think I pulled multiple all-nighters yeah. um, and that was a memorable, a bittersweet kind of experience. The, the sweet part of it is that, you know, you get put on the largest deals you can think of. They covered Alibaba, they, we covered Tencent, mm. all these big names, the BATs, you know, and then you actually get um, in-person interactions with all these clients. And so that, that, that is like, you know, the really nice to have. But obviously, there, there will be the parts where it's going to be bitter, where yeah. I remember working on an RFP um, 14 days of 5 a.m. And then on the last day when we were going to go for the RFP, I left office when, when it was daybreak. Wow. Yeah, so I only realized it because, you know, the app on your, on your, on your computer called Flux, it yeah. changes the intensity of, of, the, of, of the lighting. It became okay. from more orangey to be more bright, which oh, signals wow. daylight. And, that, and I turned around and I realized, that, oh my God, it's actually daytime. Yeah. And when I left, you see the traders coming in because all the taxis would be dropping them off. Yeah. 
And then right, and then afterwards, it was 10 a.m. We had to go to Shenzhen for the pitch for the for the oh, RP. Wow. So literally, I just went home, shower, slept for an hour, and then um, went back to office. Yeah, there's a price people forget. You know, it's it's all glamour when you you know see it in movies and see it on you know like read it on the Wall Street Journal, cool bankers, Wall Street, whatever. But there's a price that you know, especially the the younger roles, analysts, associates pay. Right. Yeah. The long hours, the loss of a personal life, uh, yep. personal health, you know, like forget like uh, physical health. Yeah. Physical health goes to shit anyways, but like mental health, like you're, yep. you're getting such limited sleep. Um, so definitely there's a price, but at the same time, you're obviously getting that amazing experience. And I don't think, I don't think the value is in the money, right? I don't think like, uh, you know, those days of 0506 that we've heard about of like big banker bonuses, those years are long gone, but I think like mm -hmm. the value that still exists, in my opinion, and you tell me what you think, is in the actual experience of skill set of like, can I, you know, build that resiliency? Can I build that Excel skill? Can I build that mm -hmm. you know, uh, hand-eye coordination and muscle memory with the keyboard um, and just the ability to manage like 15 different things uh, without like freaking out? Yeah, that's right. So that definitely was something, I mean, back then when you're in the job, you can't really think about the, the good and, and the valuable lesson that you learned yeah. when you're really working that long hours. But afterwards, like, you know, coming out of banking and actually reflecting on that two year of experience with Morgan Stanley TNT, those are the skill sets that are retained. So definitely yeah. you're able to handle multiple stress. You're yeah. able to handle, you're able to pick things up really quickly because yeah. especially when it comes to language too, um, I mean, yes, I was born in China, but I left so early. And definitely when it comes to interacting with Chinese clients, my language capability is not going to be as good as a native. Yeah. Um, and so just picking those things up and also the different skill sets. So those are the things that you remember and you retain and you bring forward to your next finance job. Yeah. And definitely because you had such, uh, basically you, had, you, you were such, you're under such pressure when you were in that role, mm -hmm. it makes you a stronger person mentally for sure. Oh yeah. Because it kind of, it's just like how we, you know, we went through pledging for, um, for your fraternity. You go yeah. through a three, a, a quarter long, uh, very grueling process. And that actually prepares you mentally, make you stronger. And it tells you that, Hey, you know, yes, you're pushed to your kind of limits, but yeah. you're challenging yourself and you're finding that you're able to handle different things yeah. and you're able to handle all these immense stress. So to me, that was actually a personal development. Yeah. So even, even though those two years were really tough, but I think, you know, as a young, you know, as a, as a young person in your mid twenties or early twenties, those are kind of the experiences you need to embody such that it can bring you even further in life yeah. later down the road. I love it. I and, love it. and, and yes, you know, investment banking is tough. People say that, you know, like don't get, get into investment banking because you miss out on your social life. But I think looking back out of, out of um, university, I still think that probably investment banking was a really good training ground for myself. I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but personally, I think it is one of the jobs that it is very challenging, but it also pushed me and make me realize that there are so many things I can actually do. Yeah. And definitely the risk reward is there. Yeah. Um, so if anyone is, you know, really interested in, in, and passionate about finance, I think it is still one of the best places to start. Oh, but 100%. obviously, yeah, but obviously, you know, in, in the, in, in the early years as an analyst or even a junior associate, you kind of have to you know, basically come to terms that, you know, a portion of your social life, your personal life will, will kind of have to take a bit. Like you, you yeah. can't have it all. You can't all. Exactly. And I agree with you hundred percent on that. If I, if I had an opportunity to do it all over again, I would not change a thing. I would still do investment banking as my first thing. Uh, it's just yeah. that, you know, 
if it's a two to three year commitment or even a two to four year commitment, it's so worth it, right? It's so worth it. And from learning to the network people forget about, like, and then the, the credibility you get on the street, once a Goldman person, you're always a Goldman person, right? Like, that's right. And, and it just opens so many doors in the future. So now having said that, you know, do I recommend staying at a, at an investment bank forever? Uh, not for everyone, right? Like, you know, when I looked up and looked at my bosses, did I want their life when they were even MDs at the top firm? No, right. I didn't want that. Um, but like having said that the early days, even how tough it gets hundred percent, I would do it all over again. And I think that was amazing. Um, so by rule, so after like a, a couple of years at Morgan Stanley, you decide to go private equity route, right? And maybe just touch up a little bit about the transition. And now you're back at, and in Singapore, closer to family right. again. Uh, and I feel like this is kind of, you're starting your middle, early parts of your middle career. That's right. right. So yeah, so the conscious decision for me is really choosing the location. That's one. Okay. Do I still want to stay in Hong Kong or do I want to come back to Singapore? Um, and I figured that I think I will likely still be on this part of the world in Singapore. So, and I, and I also decided that I will likely still choose to stay in finance instead of going to a business school. Yeah. Because the reason why is I, I've talked to multiple people around, about the, the MBA route. People go to MBA because they either want to build more connections yeah. or they actually want to change their career. Yeah. And for me, and I, for me, I think that I will, I, it's unlikely for me to change my career path in the sense that I think I will still stay in finance. Yeah. So, and plus, I think I'm still be able to make connections even um, in my current role. 100%. And, and still staying within finance. So that's why there wasn't a need for me to, you know, forego two years of pay. Um, the opportunity cost is too high for me and it Very didn't high. really make sense. Yeah. Um, and then, so next is on, on location, right? So for Hong Kong, when you join a private equity or any finance role in Hong Kong, typically majority of your clients will be in China. Okay. Then I told myself, I probably do not want to be traveling to China all the time. And to be honest, not knowing the length, basically not being as adept in the native language um, is gonna it's gonna it's gonna hold you down yeah um and and i definitely won't be able to compete on the kind of like localized you know relationship feel as compared to any of and especially those are people. those are heavily weighted in china especially in china in terms of local relationship and building those bonds with the clients yeah definitely um and and so that's why i realized that you know i actually prefer moving home to singapore yeah and i think because because I, I, you're right, I'm in the middle part of my career. So it means that this is the prime time for me to build more connections, right? Yeah. So you kind of have to choose your location and you start building um, all those connections around you from now going forward. And so I think that was like a good time for me to move back to Singapore. Yeah. And then moving back to Singapore, staying in finance, again, you know, you can break that down again. There are multiple yeah. different roles. It could be the sort of wealth funds. Um, the VCs, the, the family offices, the private yeah. equity. So these are all in the realm of the buy side. So for me yeah. is that I'm pretty, I'm, I told myself, I'm pretty clear that I don't want to stay on the sell side anymore yeah. doing advisory work. I want to move on to the buyer's perspective, like really actually putting money in and really, you know, um, figuring out whether this is a good investment or not. Yeah. And so moving on to the buy side, as I listed earlier, those were some of the the, the avenues that you can go into. Yeah. And so I, I actually talked to multiple people from all these different um, places, Sarah Wealth Funds, Family Office, Hedge Funds, VCs, yeah. Exactly. So, and then I realized that some of them may not suit me. Yeah. And so for instance, like the VC world is very nascent um, in, in, in Asia, especially in Southeast Asia, is so different from VC in the US. Oh, for so, sure. So, you know, Maitri is, a, is one of my really good friends. I talked to her, now she's in a VC. So I talked to her about, you know, exploring a VC route too. And I realized that it's so different. 
in Asia versus um, the U.S. Yeah. The kind of opportunities that you get may not be, you know, as, as great um, as, as the ones in the U.S. Like how, like, and, and, and also when, when it comes to VC, I think more so it's all about relationship and connections than actually doing core analysis because there really isn't much for you to analyze. Yeah. It's really about telling, it's really about reading people. How good yeah. are you at reading people? Yeah. And, and honest, yeah. Yeah, go on, sure. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then so, and then also looking at some wealth funds and family offices, to be very fair with you, those are, those do have a really great, um, much better work-life balance as compared to um, a, a traditional private equity. Yeah. Um, but then I asked myself again, you know, like now I want to learn about how to invest, like the, the kind of like business acumen, the investment acumen, how can I build that? Because yeah. you kind of have to, you kind of have to uh, pinpoint and, and pinpoint a certain goal that you want out of this career. Then you, then you figure out whether that, that role is good for you. Yeah. So for me, I figured that I want to build, I want to hone, I want to learn how to invest. So that's why um, I, I eventually ended up choosing a more traditional PE route because that's yeah. where you're going to learn the fundamentals of investing. You're going to mm -hmm. learn exactly how to evaluate yeah. whether this investment is good or not rather yeah. than you know, going somewhere where you go very early stage or you go co-invest where sometimes you don't need to do such deep analysis. Yeah, I think you know, a couple of points on that and you hit them on the head. It's like one of the, the, the VC route you know, VC in Southeast Asia, like you said, is actually so small, first of all. And it's very much like, it's, it's totally not the opportunity that, you know, young people get in the US. VC in, like VCs in, in Singapore, first, there's only like four or five VCs and out of those two actually matter and the others don't. Next is like, they always play on the back foot. They're not as like, you know, they're not taking the big bets like, you know, Andreessen or Sequoia and, and the West are taking all the time. Uh, and then just the, the, you know, the whole system is different. You're not getting a thousand startups that are popping up of high quality talent That's right. on a regular basis. So being a junior employee in these firms, what happens is A, you're not really getting the volume of deal flow, let's just say. B, most of the deals are being done because, you know, Uncle you know, Jerry, who's the partner for the last 20 years, is kind of doing all the deals himself and you're getting nothing, to be honest with you. So, yeah. so it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not a good place for people. Uh, the second piece... Um, you know, on, on an aspect of uh, the private equity versus uh, the family offices and the sovereign wealth funds. I think you're absolutely right on that. It's like, you can always actually, you know, go to these sovereign wealth funds and, and uh, high net worth investing funds, whatever, later on, right? But like, you're not gonna be able to do that uh, with private equity, actually, right? Private equity has a certain, you know, uh, enthusiasm that you need, certain like mindset you need, and in terms of like ability to learn and apply that skill that you just acquired in banking. And yeah. the more immediate that you use that, the more effective you can be and you'll learn a lot. And then yeah. if you want a, a better lifestyle, let's say you have a family in the future and you have kids and you have whatever, and you want to kind of have more fun time, free time, but at the same time have the ability to still have a very long career in the finance world. Yes, you know, joining a Temasek or, you know, any of those, you know, firms that are like much longer, uh, you know, uh, investment horizons is the right strategy. Um, so, right. like, you know, congrats, by the way, on such an amazing career, by I'm so proud of you, happily jealous of you. Uh, <laughs> I, th I think this is amazing. And, you know, uh, and I think this is coming to, you know, you're, you're just starting the middle part of your, your career. So you finished mm -hmm. phase one, you're starting phase two. And I think phase two, in my opinion, phase one is when we all kind of explore, right? So yeah. we go try a bunch of different things. And, you know, we're obviously passionate about a bunch of things, but we try a bunch of things. Phase two is when we learn, actually. 
right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think this is going to be the phase where you will actually become a professional. Like you'll become an expert at investing and all the stuff that you've accumulated in the last like six, seven years will, is going to be applied here in the next 15. So this is, mm -hmm. a, this is going to be an exciting time. So I want to, you know, ask you one last question. And that is, if I look at your resume, you know, it has, it is an amazing journey started in Singapore, then California, all these amazing brands from UCLA and the struggles involved all the you know, internships you've worked at from Goldman's of the world to working full-time in the top brands and the top groups within those brands. And now in P T at TPG, let's say I delete all of this, right? None of this exists, right? Who is Bayru? Wow, that's a really tough question. And it's also an interview question that I think I got. When from, me I probably. from me probably. From, yeah, from you, like when I was prepping for my interviews. Oh gosh, oh, this makes me nervous. Who am I? Um, well, I think some of the qualities that I embody are definitely, I'm someone who is very loyal. I'm also someone who is cultured in the sense that I have um, experiences in various cultures and someone who is very highly adaptable. Um, I think these are some of the core qualities I have that I'm proud of. Um, so in terms of being loyal, I think in the sense that, you know, it, it comes with also responsibility too. I think I'm someone who is highly responsible. You give me something, I'll make sure I get it done. Mm. And I make sure I put my heart and soul into it. Um, and also being adaptable in the sense that, you know, I have, I've moved many different places. I have done uh, various different kinds of jobs. And also even being able to adapt from one culture to another and be able to really assimilate into the local culture, I think it's something that not everyone can do. Yeah. And I think that is something that I, I'm proud of. And I think for me, it's rather easy to actually make connections from people from various backgrounds as well as culture. So I think these three are what, what make me who I am. And I think these three are the key qualities that you should take away. <laughs> I love it, Bayru. I'm, I'm so proud of you. And you know, the journey is just beginning. So congrats again. Thanks so much for coming on this podcast. I, I met you uh, many, many years ago. And you know, I, you were like a little kid, in my opinion, with a lot of energy. <laughs> the only difference now is you're kind of like a, you know, like a slightly older kid with still a lot of energy. <laughs> And I think that passion, don't let it die. TPG is lucky to have you. So I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Thank you so much.